You're listening to the Promised Church's Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy this teaching by Pastor Aaron. For more information about who we are, please visit us at thepromisechurch.com. Good morning. How many people are excited and thankful to be in church today? Izzy. Come on, if you're here for the first time, we welcome you. It's a privilege of ours to host you today. Um, if you don't know who I am, my name is Aaron, and uh, I'm one of the senior leaders here at the Promise Church, and uh, here we desire to see lives transformed, cities saved, nations won by being people of the presence of God. How many people are thankful that the presence of the Lord is here? Come on, it's not... That wasn't just good music that you felt this morning, and Michael did a great job mixing the room, but that wasn't because they picked great worship songs, and my wife's voice sounds like an angel, thankfully, that I'm not singing. But you felt the presence of the Lord. Jesus is in the room. He is here. We do not gather simply to go through the motions, to play a game and feel good about ourselves. We came here, I came here to meet with Jesus. If he's not here, I won't be because I only want to be where he is. We don't want to mess around. This, is, this would just be a good social club. It's like the Elks Club, which I don't even know what that club does. It's like a chess club or the Glee Club. Like If Jesus isn't here, we're just a gathering of people just hanging out and doing fun things together. But we're actually here for one reason, and that is to meet with Jesus. That's why... We are here, and that's why we take time. That's why we have a two-hour service. Some of you visitors are like, oh, dear God, what did he just say? There's another hour of this left. This is why we take time. Come on, some of you can watch a three- or four-hour football game, and it's no big deal. You can watch a two-hour movie, and you wish it went longer. We want to take time to be with the creator of the universe. This is why we are breathing. This is why we are alive. And my desire is that every single person that would walk through those doors would encounter the Lord, would have an encounter with Jesus, would belong and feel part of a family, and that they would be empowered and equipped to change the world around them. That you would know the purpose that's on your life, that you would know why you are breathing. You would know why you are alive and the gifts and the talents and the strengths that God has given you, you would use them to advance the kingdom of God. One of the questions I get asked so frequently is they're like, oh, pastor, I just don't know why I'm alive. Why, why am I in Woodland? Why am I in this state of all states? Why was I not born in Idaho? Why am I here? Some of you are like, is he reading my mind? Why are you alive? Why were you created this morning? I believe the Lord is going to clearly imprint something on your heart of purpose. That you were created for a purpose. You were not created to have a great job, to provide for your family, to have a wonderful marriage and raise great children and have a great, great career and someday retire. That's not why you're alive, although those are all wonderful things. But you are alive for a higher purpose. A greater purpose is on your life than merely providing for your family. Amen. And it's not simply enough to just believe that God is real. It's not simply enough to just believe. 
The Bible says that even demons and the devil believe that God is real, and it means nothing to them. It's not enough to just believe. There, there's a guy in the second to the back row. You've got to be yeah, a blue and white. Just put your hand up for a moment. If you guys don't know this guy, his name is Derek. He's awesome. You can put your hand down. He's married to a lady next to him. Her name is Sarah. They're wonderful people. He's an engineer. They've got four kids, or f- five kids actually. Wonderful kids. They live, they live right in the center, and they're awesome. They're so great. Is your name Derek? Nope. His name's not Derek. Is your wife's name Sarah? No, but I sounded really convincing, didn't I? I started talking about you guys, and you're like, he doesn't know who we are. I've never met them before. But this is how so many people talk about Jesus. The problem is, is you've never met him. So I can look at him, and I can say, this is who he is, but you've never met him. And so we sound like we know what we're talking about because I believe what I'm saying is true, but the reality is I have no idea who you guys are. And you have no idea who Jesus is. And you've created an imaginary Jesus in your mind, and he doesn't exist. Because you've never met him. See, I know Jesus, not because I read a great post on social media, not because some pastor introduced me to him. I know Jesus because I've met him. I've heard his voice. I've spent time with him. Do you realize that Jesus, the presence of God, is not some ethereal thing floating up in the sky. He is real and tangible. He's not dead, but he is alive, and he wants to be closer than a brother, that you can speak to him and you can hear his voice. I have read his words. I have studied him because I want to know him. I know Jesus. I don't just believe things about him, but I know him. You can know the Lord. It's not enough to simply believe. Many people believe that God is real, and they don't know him. And we just went, we went hard quick. Y'all are like, man, this is Friend Sunday. I thought we were going to be laughing. Y'all have coffee? Who got free coffee? Come on, anybody thankful for free coffee? Was it good? I'm praying for you. I don't drink coffee. I'm a Christian. I've been delivered. Where's all my red leaf people? Come on, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Come on, there you go. I knew you were somewhere. Before you think that simply coming to church and reading your Bible equates to knowing God, remember the Pharisees never missed a Sunday and they memorized the first five books of the Bible. They memorized them. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. They memorized Leviticus, dear God. They, they were amazing. And then Numbers and Deuteronomy, they memorized all of it. And yet when Jesus the Messiah was standing in front of them, they didn't even recognize him. The very God that created them, they didn't even know him. The very God they were studying, they didn't even recognize him. You can come to church, you can memorize scripture, you can wave a party hand to the worship song and do a little dance. You can drink a coffee and give a little dollar, but it doesn't mean you know him. You were created to know God. That is why you're alive. You were created to know him. 
You were created to glorify him with your life. You were not created to perform well at your job. You were not created to have this wonderful life and pay off all of your debt and do all these wonderful things. Great stuff. That's not why you're alive. That's not why you're breathing. You were created to know the Lord. Who gets the privilege? Who gets the invitation to know Jesus? All are invited to know him. No matter how messed up you are, screwed up, mistakes you've made, no matter how many times you've, you've placated people with your emotions and gone through the emotional people think that you actually know, no matter how many times you've messed up in life, you still have the invitation to know Jesus. The Bible talks about the relationship is like a marriage. Um, Jesus is the groom and we are the bridegroom. Now, my wife and I, uh, we just celebrated 12 years of marriage. Praise God. And... Um, uh, 12 years ago at the Chinese Gardens in downtown Portland, I was there in a skinny tie back when they were cool, and I had rocker hair. Man, I should have brought a picture. It was epic. I had bangs that went all the way across my forehead to the other side. I used a straightener, and she still walked towards me down that aisle. There I was, her in her white gown. She came towards me and said yes to me, but she equally said no to four billion other men. Saying yes to Jesus requires a no to something else. There are many people who say yes to Jesus, but they've got the rest of the world lumped in together. He is not Lord of your life until he is Lord of everything. You will not come to know Jesus simply because you come to church on a Sunday morning. That is not knowing him because you listen to Christian music or you got Christian friends or you, you do good things and you're, you're a good husband or a good wife or you give money or whatever it may be. That's not what knowing God means. This is why Jesus, when he says, if you want to be my disciple, it will look like this. You will take up your cross and you will follow me and you will deny yourself Discipleship and following Jesus looks like death to self. Jesus died on the cross, not so that you wouldn't have to, but to show you what it looks like. That is the gospel message. If you're wondering, what is this whole crazy thing about Jesus? Let me break it down for you. Following Jesus looks like this, looking at his life and following his example. Placing your own needs, own wants, concerns, fears, failures, misgivings, all the junk and placing it upon the cross and saying, God, I only want you. And then I will follow you. For whoever desires to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. It just got really quiet in here. This is why in James it says, let me, let me read it for you. In James 1 verse 22 it says, but don't listen to, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are fooling yourselves. See, the last thing I want to do is stand before God at the end of time and, he, and him look at me and be like, boy, you had a great church of people who didn't know me, who lived in compromise. Not only that, but look at your own life, son. You profess to know me by your lips, but you denied me by your lifestyle. Knowing Jesus is obeying his word. And you're like, but, man, it's been crazy lately, and the world's been looking a little different over the last two, two years. 
And there's these things called masks and vaccines that made me think that the world's ending tomorrow. And then all of a sudden, it feels like uh, 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 political uh, craziness is causing me to, like, lose my mind. And I don't know if you've been on Facebook lately, but everybody is losing their mind. I didn't sign up for this. But see, I, I signed up to follow Jesus no matter what. See, I think it's time that we stop trying to emulate celebrities and we start trying to pattern our lives after missionaries and martyrs. We stop trying to make everybody else agree with how we live and make them understand what we're doing. I don't need you to understand me because I'm following him. That my life would be a burning bush in the wilderness and would cause you to stop and be like, what's different about that guy? That's what I want. I'm not here to try to convince you by great words and eloquent speeches. I'm here to show you power and his name is Jesus. That is why you are alive is to know him. This is why in Matthew chapter seven, Jesus tells a story at the end of time that people will stand on the judgment seat where we will all go. We will give an account for our lives, whether we live them for the Lord or for ourselves. And people will stand before the Lord and they will say, but God, I, I healed the sick in your name. I cast out demons in your name. I raised the dead in your name. I was a superstar Christian for you. I went to church during COVID and I didn't even wear a mask for you. And he will say, depart from me for I never knew you. He didn't know you. See, it's not enough to simply believe it's do you know him and does he know you? The Bible says that as you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. The, the depth of your relationship with the Lord depends upon you. Y'all follow me. You are responsible for your relationship with Jesus. As you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. Well, I don't hear God. I don't, I don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. I, I don't feel close to him. I don't feel his presence in my life. Well, as you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. You were created to bring glory to Jesus. This is why when I go in times of prayer and I've got a hundred different things to pray about. Anybody ever been there before? You've got a hundred different action items for the Lord. Like, hey, I don't know if you forgot about your job up there, but I got issues in my life. And I come before him and I'm like, I'm ready to spill, but I go to the promised church. And so I've been taught and trained that before I begin to give all my requests, I, do, I pray how Jesus taught me to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. So before I even ask for my daily bread, holy is the Lord. Your kingdom come and your will be done. I begin to put my focus upon Jesus, not on me. I get it off of me and onto him. And then all of a sudden, I begin to feel the presence of the Lord because my eyes are on him and not on me. And then I completely forget about the hundred different action items I wanted from the Lord. Isn't it amazing that the moment you begin to do what you were created for, you forget about everything else. You were created first and foremost to know God. Do you know him? Or do you merely talk about him and believe what you're saying is true, but you've never met the man. Someday I'll find out your name, Derek. Number two, and when you're created to know the Lord, number two, you were created to use your gifts and your abilities to advance the kingdom of God. And this is what I want to focus on this morning. You were created to advance the kingdom of God using your gifts and your talents. Every single person has been given God-ordained gifts, abilities, and strengths to advance the kingdom of God. And you will do 
one of three things with them. You will use them to build yourself. You will use them to build the kingdom of God or you will neglect them. One of three things. You'll neglect them, you'll build yourself, or you'll build the kingdom of God. Every single person is called to not be a spectator, but a participant in the house of the Lord. Is this building the church? No. This is a building with a metal roof that sounds really loud like last week when it rained and the lights, who was here second service and the lights went out? I wasn't here, but it sounded pretty awesome. This is a building. When we gather, it becomes a church, but you and I, we are the church. We are called to build the house of the Lord. You are not created to have a great life and go have a wonderful career and have a wonderful marriage and, and, and raise up great kids, all wonderful things that the Bible teaches us to do, but you were created to know God and to advance his kingdom. You have a higher purpose on your life than merely providing for your family. I'm gonna keep saying it till everybody gets it. You have a higher purpose. There is a reason you are breathing and it is not merely to put food on the table. And too often what we do is we begin to set goals and aspirations that merely are about improving our lives rather than are they in line with the purpose of God in my life. I would propose to you that if we're being honest this morning, there's probably many of us that, um, if we're being honest, we've lived our lives merely for the purpose of getting through the next day or the next year or the next hurdle, or I'm just trying to like get the next paycheck or get the next promotion, trying to get to the next vacation. And years have gone by and we've been ignorant to the calling of God on our life. We, have, we haven't even been aware of it. In Ephesians chapter two, verse eight, it says this, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let me tell you something. The calling of God on Billy Graham's life is just as important as the calling of God on your life. Let me say it another way. The calling of God on the greatest man of God that you know of is no different than the calling of God on your life. And you may be like, brother, you don't know how stupid I am. You don't know the mistakes I've made. The calling of God on your life is equally as important as the calling of God on the greatest man of God you've ever known. I will prove it to you this morning. In this passage, it says, for by the grace of God, you are saved. No matter how messed up you are. I understand that there may be some of you here this morning, this is your first time in church, you've never been in a place like this, and you're like, I don't know if I ever want to be again. This place is crazy. And you got to know something. It doesn't, doesn't matter how messed up you are. 
doesn't matter how many mistakes you've made. It doesn't matter how many times you've made them. It doesn't matter that the failures or the misgivings that you had in your past, that abortion that you had, that addiction that you have, that substance abuse that you had, those times where you've beat your spouse, those times where, where you've, you've lied and cheated your way through life. It doesn't matter how bad you are. You cannot earn your way to heaven. So you don't need to be perfect to get into heaven. You don't need to be the most upstanding citizen. You merely need to have faith in Jesus, deny yourself and follow him. And then what he does is he takes your old self, all of your mess, all of your mud and your dirt, he gets down inside of it with you and he embraces you and says, now you don't have to stay here any longer. Come and follow me. That is the message of Jesus is that he comes when you least deserve him and he comes by the grace of God to lift you up out of it and to bring you into a new covenant, into salvation with him. This is the message of Jesus. It is by grace through faith. Not of yourselves. There's nothing you can do to earn it, no matter how awesome you are, which there's some of you in this room, you're freaking awesome. That won't get you there. I know a lot of awesome people that don't know the Lord, and they will not be spending eternity with him. But I want you to notice a word. Put those scripture back up there. The word for at the beginning of verse 10. The word for. Now, any, any English teachers in the room? Anybody else? There's one. Any English majors in the room? You're like, bro, we're in a church in Woodland. (laughs) Apologies. (laughs) I went to Woodland, all right? The word for is a conjunction. Some of you are like, what? We're in church. I graduated, leave me alone. The word for is a conjunction. What that means is it combines the first phrasing with the second phrasing. Without it, the first is incomplete. So it says you have been saved by grace. It is a gift from God so that you cannot boast for a reason. You have been saved for a reason. You're not just saved so that you don't go to hell. You're saved for a reason. For we are his workmanship. Baby, you are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That we should walk in them. Let me say it another way. You're saved by grace to first be someone, a child of God, and that same grace empowers you to do something. Now notice at the end of verse 10, It says, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It doesn't say that you will. It doesn't say that you will. It says that you should, which means before you were even breathing, God had a purpose and a plan for you. The question is, will you use your free will to do it? All of you got it. All of you have the giftings and the abilities. You have the calling and the dreams and the purpose. The question is, will you do it? Because it's not guaranteed. You have a purpose on your life. Are you walking out? When I was a kid, I had somebody prophesy over me that I was going to be the treasure of heaven. I would think I was like 11. I was like, I don't know what that means, but that's super awesome. Thanks, man. Like, we're going to have a checkbook of, of God. I'm like, I love checks. Checks are awesome. Thank you. And as I begin to grow and, and get older, 
the Lord began to bring clarity to that word in my life. He began to say, Aaron, you're going to begin to make money, to give lots of money away and be extravagantly generous. So now as I'm going through life uh, and I begin to work and I begin to, I purchased a business and begin to make money, I begin to have a reason why I was doing it. I wasn't buying a business and I wasn't going to work and I wasn't receiving income to put food on my kid's table. You follow my purpose was to advance the kingdom of God. I, I, I then all of a sudden realized I'm not trying to make more money so we can go on a better vacation. I'm trying to make more money so that I can give more away. We were just celebrating our anniversary this last week and the Lord came to me and he said, Aaron, everything that you make next year that is more than this year, it is mine. And I was like, devil? <laughs> then I was like, I'm not sure babe? And she's like, that's the Lord. I'm like, dear God. But he has my heart. So now I realize I have a purpose. So everything is his. You just ask for it, Lord, and it's yours. I have a purpose. It's greater. Every single person has a gift. Romans 12, 6, it says, in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. Certain things. That's why I didn't lead worship this morning. I'm not gifted in singing. But you have a gift on your life in a very specific area. Let me say this. It's utterly impossible for you to fulfill the purpose on your life using your own natural abilities. Utterly impossible. So if you're standing there and you're like, um, but I have this dream and it seems impossible and it seems crazy. Exactly. That's how it should feel. Yeah, but you don't understand. I got restrictions and in the place where I do business and the place where I work, there's all these challenges that come away. And you don't understand, I'm not educated and I don't know all those awesome things. Exactly. He likes to choose the little red-headed boy to kill the giant. He likes to use the guy who's hiding away in the wine press to lead the Israelites with 300 people. He likes to use the people who are unassuming and unqualified. He likes to use a tiny little church in the town of Woodland to bring revival to a region. This is the God that we serve. So if you feel unqualified, qualified, if you feel insignificant, perfect. Join the club. I don't know what the heck I'm doing up here. So this morning, we're going to do a self-evaluation. We're doing a checkup. <laughs> I almost got the gloves. To just, I, it would have been too far. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't. Oh, dear God. I got to bring it back. Bring it back. Oh, <laughs> I'm going to lose it. All right. Romans 12. Let's read scripture. Romans 12 says, because of the privilege and the authority God has given me. I love that word. We could just preach all day on because of the privilege. I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Man, we could preach on that. Don't think of yourself better than you really are. Let's be honest today. In your evaluation of yourself. Measuring yourself by the faith God has given us, just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. In this grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. Now my wife has come to me, I'm 33 years old, she's older than I am, she's a cougar, and um, she's like, she's like, babe, you're getting old. And I'm like, 
is it because I have gray hair? Like, is that why? She's like, no, you, you are just getting old. You need to begin to go get checkups, physicals. Now, I, I have nightmares of high school physicals prior to basketball season. <laughs> Not really. But that's my parents right there. They're like, what did we do wrong? No, like, I, I'm like, babe, I don't want to go. She's like, you need to go because you need to know if you're on track to where you need to be. You need to know if your body is healthy, if you need to change things, if your blood work is good, if your brain is good, if everything else is good in your body. So you need to go do a, a like an annual physical checkup, right? We've had this conversation and this is my, I'm like, what are you talking about? Well, she's like the same thing we do with our marriage. Now we went and saw a marriage counselor uh, a few months back, not because we had problems, but because we don't want them. Mom, some of you just need to take notes for a moment. We went and saw a marriage counselor because we didn't want problems. Come on, some of us need to begin to actually work on things before the problems arise so the problems don't arise. It's called stewarding your marriage. It's called stewarding your children. Before your kids start acting up, you should have people speak into your life to make sure they don't start acting up. Or when they do, you know how to bring the rod of correction. Thank you, Lord Jesus. She's like, you need to go get checked up so that you don't have problems in the future, and you can avoid them. But see, an evaluation is only as good as what you're measuring it by. So it, I, I am this certain age. I should, my body should look this, it should look this way at this age. Like, everything should be working properly at my age, and I'm measuring it by things that medical people are better at describing than I am. I don't know. That's why I'm going to a doctor. We'll get Marlies or Sarah to come tell you what I'm supposed to look like, but I feel like I look fine. Leave me alone. In this self-evaluation, the writer of Romans says, be honest in your evaluation. This morning, let's take a self-evaluation, okay? Let's evaluate your life. And let's measure it by what he tells us to measure it by. He says, measure yourselves by the faith of God that has been given to you. Okay, what does that mean? I'm going to measure my life based upon the faith that's within me, the spirit of God that lives within me, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, the same faith that can move mountains, the same faith that can walk upon water, the same faith that heals blind men, that, that faith I'm measuring my life by. Is it possible that you've maybe stopped believing the very clear biblical truth that anything is possible for him that believes? That's why your life is not measuring up to somebody who walks in faith, believing that with God anything is possible. And so then what happens is you begin to live a life of maintaining. I'm just maintaining. I'm just doing what needs to be done. And then when God asks you to do something that's crazy like, uh, God, uh, I'm not, I don't really want to give that amount of money because that just seems foolish. Or God, I don't really want to make that decision or that change or that alteration in my life because that seems crazy. But see, you've already patterned your life after a comfort. So when he asks you to do something that's full of faith, it sounds foolish. But it's the foolish things that confound the wise. And in fact, he looks for the people who will think like a child. Those are the ones who will enter the kingdom of God. So let's evaluate ourselves. How are you living up? to somebody who 
lives by the faith, the same faith that can believe that a virgin can give birth to a son of God. How are you living in relationship to that faith? Are you taking risks? Are you being extreme for Jesus? Or are you cruising and comfortable? I'm just doing what I need. I'm not like, I'm not those, that's not me. Those are for the really extreme ones. This is the measuring stick. The faith. The crazy faith. I think we need to have a little bit more faith in our lives. We sang it this morning, let faith rise up. I don't know if some of you got the faith yet. Because when faith rides up, what does it begin to look like? That I would step upon the waters. Remember we sang the song 18 times. The same phrase over and over. Let faith rise up. Oh God, believe that I walk upon the waters and it wouldn't cause me to lose peace. Do you realize when Jesus invited Peter out of the boat, there was still a storm going on? The storm is raging. It looks like there's a ghost coming. They're fearing for their lives. And Jesus says, come out upon the waters. He didn't wait till it was easy. He didn't wait till it was smooth waters. It was stormy, and he called him out and said, now come walk upon the very storm that you feared. That's what it looks like to measure your life by faith, that you step upon the thing which caused you to live in fear. You have a purpose. Your purpose will cause you to feel uncomfortable. I spoke a couple weeks ago on God wants to give you a dream, and I had so many people come to me and be like, I've realized I've stopped dreaming. I've realized I've stopped thinking about what, how God could use me. It's time to dream again, but more importantly, it's time to have faith for the impossible that God wants to use you. The purpose on your life is impossible on your own. Will you believe that God can use you? If you've been in church for longer than five minutes, you've probably adopted a perspective that the greatest calling is somebody who stands up on the stage and speaks or somebody who leads worship. When I was a kid, I had a youth pastor who would tell me that all the time. Everybody should go to Bible college because everybody's called to ministry. I was like, heck no, that sounds terrible. I'm like, God wants to use accountants and electricians and construction workers and financial planners and school teachers and nurses and doctors. He wants to use all those people as equally as he wants to use you. So I was like, I don't want anything to do with that. This is why in 1 Corinthians 12, 22, Paul says, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. Let me give you an example. Part of the body that everybody cares about is the legs. Baby, you got, you got great legs. I'm like, my wife, sometimes we'll be walking by, she's like, man, that girl's got awesome thighs. I'm like, what did you just say? Like, if a guy said that about another guy, someone would slap us. But she's like, no, she's got really nice legs. Like, they're, they're great. Now, if you watch the Olympics, uh, and you watch the track and field, those commentators, they're obsessed with legs. Man, his legs are like, they're powerful. That guy can sprint, so his legs are, and then you watch basketball guys, and the cool thing now is like these tight, tight shorts. I'm like, how do you breathe in those things? And, and they're like, because they want to show off their thigh muscles. Like, and people are like, I wish I had legs like that guy. I wish I had legs like that girl. Like, the most beautiful legs. We say those things. Did you know? Did you know that you could, some of you are like, what is happening right now? <laughs> some of you are like looking at your legs. I mean, they're good. Yeah, I like them. Thanks, man. Did you know you can live without your legs? 
There's a lot of people lost both legs. Great life. Wonderful life. Like, great. They can do everything they've wanted to do except walk. Sorry that I, sorry. But they can do all of them. I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm just, we were just on vacation and I'm still on, on that. You want to know what you can't live without? Your liver. You want to know what no one's ever said to me, Aaron? You've got the best liver I have ever seen. No one's ever, you've never heard that statement before. You want to know why? Because no one cares about your liver. But you cannot live without it. If you lost your liver, you would die. But yet we care about the legs, something you don't need to live with. But we could care less about the liver. I don't even know where it is technically in my body. I know it's there. I just don't know exactly where. Just point here, here. Right there, baby. Best liver in town. But it doesn't matter because you don't care. You care about my legs or my arms. You care about them. But this is what Paul is referencing is sometimes it's the unseen things that are more important than the seen things. So you may look at somebody on stage, me holding a microphone, and be like, man, that guy's got a great calling on his life. But you're a stay-at-home mom raising children. You're a nurse, and you're beginning to lay hands on people who are sick. You're a school teacher. You're beginning to raise up the next generation of people who know Jesus. And what Paul is saying is that your calling, your purpose on your life is actually more important than mine. Your calling as a construction worker, your calling working at the DMV, bless your heart, your calling doing what God has called you to do is more important than somebody in a seen position in ministry. Matthew 28, 19. We know this, the Great Commission. We are called to make disciples of all nations. The Greek word for disciple is ethnos. You're welcome. You didn't know that. Now you do. That means this, a body of persons united by kinship, culture, and common traditions. Now, this is talking about geographical people, but I would also propose to you that it's talking about people who share commonalities, like cyclists, like the Elks Club people, like athletes, like doctors or physicians or school teachers, people who share the same, uh, the same uh, kinship or culture or, or traditions. And our gifts are not just, uh, not just to be used in a church-type setting, but we're to take our gifts and take what is sacred and use it in the secular. That we no longer as believers can separate the two. There is not a separation of church and state. Let me tell you, in scripture, they are intertwined. You are called to take the very fabric of your salvation, the very hope that lives inside of you, and you are to send it out to everybody that is in your ethnos, your cultural group. The sacred, the spiritual was meant to be used. Now, everybody in this room, almost all of us, I have a job outside. I have a business that I, that I work at outside of the church. Praise God for a senior leadership team. And, and almost all of us in this room can say that we are called outside of the church. Very few are called to work inside of the church. But all of us are called to take the supernatural spirit of God that dwells within us and to live and be the light of the world in whatever social circles, work environment we may dwell The purpose of God on your life is to use your gifts to advance his kingdom. You are not a school teacher 
so that you get a paycheck. You're not a nurse so that you can administer medication. You're not a construction worker so you can build a house. You have been given the gifts and the tools to advance the kingdom of God. Are you doing it? Or are you living in fear? This is why you were born. You might be like, well, Aaron, you don't understand. My, the place where I work, it's, it's too difficult. I remember when I was uh, a couple years ago, uh, I, I didn't own the business that I was working at. And uh, the Lord spoke to me and said, Aaron, this is my business. And this is a place that I want to reside if you will let me. Uh, and I knew what he was asking me to do. So I was like, well, God, you don't understand. Like, these are my clients coming in the door. And if I do anything crazy, like, they could leave. And then that's my job on the line. And you want me to pay my bills. So it's obviously not you. And, uh, and he's like, no, you're actually here to be a light to the world. You're not here to make money. You're here as a son of God. Live that way first and foremost. And the paycheck will follow. See, I don't care whether you're an electrician, whether you're a school teacher, whether you're a construction worker, whether you work at McDonald's. You're a son or a daughter of God first. You flip those burgers and you begin to prophesy everybody who takes a bite over this Big Mac. First of all, let it be as healthy as a carrot. But God, let them encounter you in Jesus' name. You are on mission. And you're like, yeah, but I'm tired. You can sleep when you're dead. It says to work enthusiastically, giving everything. You're in a race. March. You're in a race. Run. You have the answer to the world. Man, I just wish we'd have the right president. Let me tell you something. The right president will fix your problems or the world's problems. It's Jesus. The sooner you realize that you are the catalyst and not a president, the sooner you will begin to see things shape, uh, things shift in your world. You're the catalyst. Not a politician, not more money. You're the catalyst. Everyone has a gift. 1 Peter 4.10 and each one has received a gift, so minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. You have a gift, minister. It doesn't say everyone is a minister. It says you have a gift, so minister it. I am ministering a gift. Are you ministering your gift? Well, I'm retired. Nobody is retired in the kingdom of God. You have a gift. Are you using your gift? Yeah, but I just worked really hard, and now I'm just living the good life. Nobody works really hard and just lives the good life in the kingdom of God. You are on mission. You have the cure to cancer inside of you. Would you do nothing with it? No, I'd give it away to everybody. Great, you have the cure to sin living inside of you. Will you do something with it or would you be fearful and quiet? 1 Corinthians 9, 16, Paul says, woe is me if I do not do the calling of God in my life. Woe is me in the Greek actually stands for like disaster or horror. He's actually like calling a curse down upon himself if he does not do the gift of God in his life. Oh, it's critical. It's a big deal. You got a gift on your life? You got a calling? You got a purpose on your life? Paul says, if I don't do it, it's like calling a curse down upon me. Woe is me. 1 Corinthians 4, 1 through 2. says, let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. Now, if I were to ask you for a definition of faithfulness, remember stewardship and faithfulness aren't synonymous in Scripture. If I were to ask you for a one-word definition, you would be like trust, loyal, dependent, obedient, following through. Great, great words. Let's get back to our English major in the room. Great words. 
But I would propose that there's another definition in Scripture. Faithfulness is defined by multiplication. By multiplication, you may be like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Let me show you in Scripture. Matthew 25, 14. We're almost done. The kingdom of God can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. Now we know that Jesus is the one that is the man going on the long trip. He ascended to heaven. He is returning at some day to see whether his servants did with their responsibility what they were supposed to do. He is the man in the story that is going away. Verse 15, it says, he gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities, and then he left on his trip. Now, these bags of silver in certain translations are called talents, which was a lot of money, but I would propose to you that Jesus is actually, he rarely uses representation of something he's actually referring to. Let me give you an example. Wheat are related to godly people. Tares are evil people. Seeds are our words. Thorns are cares of life. Reapers are angels. I would propose to you that when he's, what he's talking about here, talents or these bags of money are actually responsibilities or gifts and purposes of God on our life. Okay? So verse 16 and 18, he says, The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant who, uh, with two bags of silver, also went to work and earned two more. But the servant also, or who received the one bag of silver, dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. So let me summarize. You had somebody who received five. They invested it, and they got five more. So now they had ten. There was somebody with two. They invested it. They got two more. And then they had four. Then there was somebody with one. And that servant, number three, dug a hole and stuck it in the ground. And all he had left over was one. Verse 19 says, after a long time, their master returned, which Jesus will do. He will come from his long trip, and he called them to give an account of how they had used his money. Now, the account that the master requires is, were we faithful with the responsibilities and the gifts that he gave us? Verse 20, it says, the servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I earned five more. He obviously invested in Bitcoin. The master was full of praise. Master was full of praise and said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling the small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The master says, You have been faithful. The only thing that the servant did was multiply what he had. There is a clear connection between faithfulness and multiplication. The master says, you have multiplied what I gave you. Thus, you have been faithful. Now let's celebrate because you did exactly what I asked you to do. Okay, so follow. The next one. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I've earned two more. The master said, well done. Done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling the small amount, so now I'll give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Again, Jesus identifies faithfulness with multiplication. Now notice something here. The person who had five and made five more got ten. The person who had two and made two more got four. Very different amounts, right? Ten and four, what they ended up with. They received the same response from the master. Make sure you got that. The person who now had ten received the same response as the person who had four. There may be people who have greater levels of influence than you, but it doesn't really matter. It's did you steward well the gift that God gave you? Whether you end up with 10 or you end up with four, you're, you're called to steward your gift. Did you multiply it well and were you faithful? Somebody may have greater influence, but it doesn't matter. Your gift is just as important, especially if it's unseen, according to Paul. So then there's the third servant. 
Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money. So I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. Before I point out the master's response, let's be very clear here. He did not multiply, he maintained. He took, he dug it in the ground, and he maintained it. Why did he do that? The main reason why is because he did not know the character of his master. What was point number one this morning? You have purpose. Your purpose is to know God. If you do not know God, you will never know your purpose. If you do not know God, you will think of him as a man who is harsh and terrible. Or you'll want, look at your life and be like, why is this happening to me? You'll look at your life and say, I, I said I wanted to do that, but my life sure doesn't look like the dreams you've placed in my heart. Surely God doesn't really want to do that in my life, so I'm just going to quit. Like Joseph, when Joseph had a dream and then he got thrown into a pit and then he got put into Potiphar's house and then he got uh, put, put into the prison and then finally he got put in the palace, the dream still didn't happen until nine years later. There's a process oftentimes, but if you don't know the character of your master, you will quit before you ever see the purpose on your life fulfilled. One of the main reasons why people are not fruitful in their life is because they do not know God. So if you're like, well, I just really want to know what I'm supposed to do. That's not where you start. Where you start is do you know him? Where you start is on your knees every morning before the Lord saying, God, I simply want to know you. I don't even care about what I'm supposed to do with my life because if I know you, my life is complete. Everything else means nothing except knowing you. That is where this all begins. Do you know him or do you not? I just need meaning for my life. It begins with knowing the Lord. The second reason he maintained and did not multiply is because he was living in fear. I was afraid. I was afraid. I don't know the Lord, thus I'm afraid. Let's read the master's response. But the master replied, almost done. You wicked and lazy servant. Now notice, he says servant. He's not speaking to outsiders. He's speaking to his children, his servants. The first two received well done, good and faithful servant. The last one said, you wicked and lazy servant. Let me show you these words real quick. Lazy, and the Greek word is akneros. You know, if I say it fast and, and confident, you just think I'm, I'm saying it right. You don't really know. I don't really know. But let's just go with it. Uh, that's defined as to delay, slow, tardy, slothful, or lazy. It carries the impression that you are lethargic. You have a lukewarm attitude toward life. To, I just, I'm just fine. I'm just maintaining. You're lazy. I'm just doing my job. No, you're lazy. Yeah, but I'm just trying to make, no, you're lazy. Well, it just hasn't worked out for me. You're lazy. The next word is wicked. This is a strong word. Wicked, the Greek word is poneros, possessing a serious, serious fault and consequently being worthless. This is relative to Paul calling down a curse upon his life to saying, if I don't do the gift of God, the purpose of my life, woe is me okay he was worthless to the operation of his entrusted gift this is not a matter of salvation let me describe it to you in, in easier terms those who multiply are good and faithful those who simply maintain possess a serious fault are worthless and lazy 
We've been saying a phrase over the past couple months if you've been at the Promise Church that God is calling us out of a satisfied state to make us desperate again. Some of you are satisfied and comfortable in your life going through the motions and you've excused yourself away because you feel like you're inadequate. You don't have the right giftings. It's not important. I just have this normal job. I'm just a blue collar worker. There's nothing I can do. So I just do what I got to do to put food on my, my family's table. This is my job. No, you are called to advance the kingdom of God. And it's time for us as the body of Christ to leave the place of comfort where it's all about us, all about improving our life. And we begin to build the kingdom of God. This is why you are breathing. I'm breathing to know the Lord and I'm breathing to advance his kingdom. Paul writes to Timothy and he says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.14, he says, do not neglect the gift that is in you. Do not overlook, do not regard lightly and stop paying no attention to it. Promise church, friends, stop neglecting the gift that is within you. You have a gift you have purpose and it's not to make money and it's not to, to, to make food for dinner and it's not to buy new clothes for your kids and it's not to go on vacation that's not your purpose you have a higher purpose a divine purpose on your life to advance the kingdom of God but you must leave the place of maintaining and comfort where it's just it's just life it's just doing what I do going through the motions you wicked and lazy servant. All you did was use your job to put food on the table. Let me say it a little differently. You wicked and lazy servant. All you did was look at your gift and disregard it. I'm just, I'm just a teacher. I'm just, I'm just a craftsman. That's all, that's all I do. What you're saying is my gift is he then comes back in 2 Timothy 1.6. He says, I want to remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you. To stir up means to revive the fire. This morning, I want to revive the fire inside of you. Revive the gift that's within you. He then follows up the very next verse and says, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of sound mind. This is the God. So we say, fear go. And we say, Holy Spirit, you are the only spirit welcomed in my life, in my heart, in my mind, in this room. But the spirit of fear from the depths of hell must leave. Because I'm no longer going to be held back because I'm scared and because I don't know the Lord. But I know him, thus I do not live in fear. Thus I will fulfill the purpose of God on my life. Why don't you stand with me? There are some of you in this room, when I talk about knowing the Lord, you don't know him. In fact, when I started talking about Derek, it's exactly what you do when you start talking about God. You don't know him. Thus, you make up a name for him. You describe him, and those aren't even his characteristics. It's not even him. You've never met him before. Some of you in this room came. You, you, you were dragged here by a friend, or you came here. Some of you are watching, and you're like, I don't even know why I'm still watching right now because he was talking about legs, and I started feeling uncomfortable about my legs, and I'm still watching for some reason. God wants to know you in your mess, in your issues, in your problems, in your mistakes. He wants to know you. He will know you when you come to him. I know some of you, you have a lot of sin in your life. You're like, I don't even know what is sin, but I'm sure I got some of it. You've made a lot of mistakes. That qualifies you to come into the kingdom of God. He's not looking for perfect people. He's looking for people just like you. If you're in this room 
and you're saying, I don't know the Lord, but I'd really like to know him. This God, this God of peace and hope, this God of joy, this God that gives purpose, that God get, that, that gives meaning to my life, I'd like to know him. If you do not know him, with every eye open and every head up, I want you to raise your hand and say, I want to know Jesus this morning. I don't know him, and I want to know him today. Come on, anybody else? I don't know him, but I want to know him today. Would you, I've, I've, I've locked eyes with you a number of times this morning. And I felt like as I was communicating, I felt like the Lord wanted to very clearly say something to you. He wants to remind you that your mistakes, Jeffrey said this this morning, those grave clothes, those, those labels, those things that people have been saying over you, you've been believing them. You've been carrying them with you. And he's coming to you today and say, it's time to take off the grave clothes. It's time to remove the labels. It's time to re take the unforgiveness, the hurts and the shames. Let me tell you something. You are not defined by your past. But he looks at you and he says, come, you're my daughter. Come with your problems. Come with your hurts. Come with your pains. Come with your frustrations. You're my daughter. So this morning, would you do this? Would you come up? And I, I want to have I want to have a friend of mine just begin to talk with you about the Lord. Would you do that? Would you come up here to the front church? Can we celebrate her for a moment? You as well. Come right up here. Come on. Marlise, would you come up here? Dad, Nathaniel, would you come up here? These are some of my friends that are just going to begin to talk to you, and they're going to tell you a little bit about the Jesus that you're saying yes to today. This decision is not a one-time moment, but it is a decision every single day to know Jesus. I would propose that there are a majority of people in this room, as I'm communicating about purpose, you realize, man, I'm the third sermon. I've been maintaining. I've looked at the gift in my life and I've realized I'm, I'm, I'm being lazy. I've disqualified myself. I'm really, I'm not using it to advance the kingdom of God. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. You're saying, today, I'm going to change. I want you to raise your hand. Raise it high. Today, I'm changing. Today, my gift is going to advance the kingdom of God. All right. Keep it up. This morning, come on, Derek. Come on, bro. I'm going to find out who you are after all this. I want you to do this. I, I've... As I was, I was on a plane a couple of days ago and the Lord gave me this picture. He gave me this picture of an army uprising. And he showed me this image and everybody was taking out their sword. And then he did like this. I think I just watched a movie where this person reround the tape and he like reround the tape. And he showed everybody fighting in a fight with their swords in their sheath. And then he fast-forwarded again, and all of a sudden the people started fighting, and they took the sword out. Before they had been fighting with the sword put away, now they were fighting with the sword in their hand. And I believe that many of you this morning, you're going to begin to fight darkness and advance the kingdom of God. You're going to stomp hell everywhere you go because the Spirit of God lives within you. And you're finally going to begin to use your gift. This morning, if you raise your hand, I want you to come to the front. I want to pray over you. Come up. Come up just real quick. We're going to end soon. Come up quickly. Let's come right over here. We're going to pray. And the worship team is just going to play one more song. We're going to worship. 
but I, I wanted you to get out of your road, to get out of the familiar and get out of comfort. Anybody else, if you, want, if you are watching and wish you were up here, come up right now. Don't wait. For those of you who are standing here, I want you just to look at me for a moment. The gift of God on your life. Come on, keep coming. The gift of God on your life has meaning. You're like, well, I just make coffee. That is the most important gift in the world. Do you realize that gift of making coffee, that gift of working with your hands, that gift of doing what is the most important gift in the world because God gave it to you. God gave it to you. So do this with me. Just close your eyes for a moment. Father, I pray against every lie given by the devil, every lie that tries to convince us we're insignificant, we're unqualified. God, that my calling isn't as great as that person's calling, the comparison spirit, we break it in Jesus' name. Father, we come against the lie of immaturity, the lie of not good enough, the lie of unqualified. We come against it in Jesus' name. You do not need a Bible degree. You do not need to memorize the first five books of the Bible. You do not need to come to church for a decade to be used by God. But God has given you a gift and a purpose for such a time as this. He has called you to be used by Him to advance the kingdom of God. Lord, I break fear in Jesus' name. Just begin to say it out loud. I break fear in my life in Jesus' name. I break fear in my life in Jesus' name. I am not unqualified, but I am chosen and called in Jesus' name. I pray right now that you'd begin to stir up the gifts within us. God, I begin to pray for teachers in their classroom to begin to live by faith. I begin to pray, Lord, right now for people on the job sites to begin to be used by God. People in their offices to begin to preach the gospel to their co-workers. People to begin to lay hands on the sick as they are working. God, people in the coffee shop to begin to pray over the drinks that they're passing out to have boldness and courage. God, raise up an army of people who begin to fight with their sword, fight with their gift. You are chosen and you are called. Now, church, would you do this? Would you lift up your hands? I believe as we begin to worship, God is going to begin to give you dreams and visions. He's going to be giving you ideas. He's going to begin to give you faith. As you begin to lift up His name and set your eyes upon Him, let faith arise. Come on, church, let's sing this. Come on, every voice, every voice. Come on, take it up another level. Come on, church. Come on, our God, our God, the creator of heaven and earth, the one who was and is to come, the way, the truth, and the life, the peace that passes understanding, the joy unspeakable, life and life abundantly. Our God reigns. My God reigns. Come on, church, let's lift up the name of Jesus.
morning. God, begin to stir up the flame in our hearts that we would be people that use our gift, people that walk in our purpose. God, we're ready. We're ready. We're ready. We walk in boldness and obedience. God, we're here to say yes to you. Let faith arise. Let faith arise. Let faith arise. God, we don't want to stay in the boat. We want to step out upon the waves. We don't want to stay in the shallows. We want to walk upon the deep. Thank you, Jesus. Let faith arise. say fear go come on say it out loud say fear go we bind every religious demonic spirit in Jesus name we take authority Lord you've asked us as your sons and daughters to take authority so we take authority in this place that this church will be a people that do not live in fear that we will be a people who live in power love and have a sound mind God, make us be a people who fight for you. And the gates of hell will not prevail. Come on, is there anybody in this room that's thankful that we fight for the Lord who is the victor? In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen.